1988 was the year Tom Namey decided to finish it, for good. It was a grudge that started when another Chaldean family opened up a competing grocery store down the street, posing a fierce threat to his family's livelihood. The clash started with ransacking each other's stores, but quickly turned to violence and gunfire. Tom tried to burn down their store four times, but this final move was going to be the nail in the coffin for these guys who just wouldn't let it be. This is Tom. So anyway, my wife knew, you know, she always speaks to me when I was calm. She knew I had a bad temper. So I get uh, the next day we have breakfast. I'm ready to go to work at six in the morning. She tells me, she said, please, Tom, I want you to leave these people alone. They have families. I got mad at her. And I left and I figured, how about our family, you know? So anyway, I put the last plan in effect. I figured I'm going to drive a truck into this, into this building full of dynamite gasoline. I'm going to blow it up so good. The insurance company, if they pay him, they, they won't have enough money to rebuild it. And if they don't pay him, then that's too bad. It's better than killing them. Killing them, I should add, was his original plan. This was plan B. I don't want to get blood on my hands. And I'll do it for the sake of my wife. So I drove this big truck in the building, 24-footer, 275-gallon of gasoline, 12 dynamites. I drive it inside the building, the truck blows up before. It catches on fire while I lit the, I lit the, I lit the dynamite fuse and the whole truck caught up while I was in it. I threw myself out, I rolled in the snow and the truck started blowing up. The explosion was unsuccessful. The opposing supermarket stood unharmed. Tom left the scene in an ambulance with burns over 47% of his body. If he had been successful, authorities estimate that several people would have been killed and several others seriously injured. As it was, Tom believes God seemed to have had a different sort of explosion in mind. The kind that takes a notorious Chaldean mobster with a 60 to 90 year prison sentence and turns him into a prolific charismatic preacher and healer. And as many of us know, God usually gets his way. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. Tom Namey immigrated to the U.S. from Baghdad with his family when he was 11 years old. Like many Iraqi Catholics at the time, his family left to escape religious persecution. They settled in present-day Chaldean town in Highland Park. But at the time, they were one of the only Chaldean families in the area. I used to fight a lot because the kids, you know, I was different. So mm-hmm. they all wanted a piece of me, so I gave them a piece of them. And, and I got to be a pretty tough, tough kid. Um, when I went to school, high school, all that, I wrestled, I did this, I did that, I did it all, took up karate, I did all this stuff. Tom started working at his family's grocery store, Siemens Supermarket, when he was 12. Other than hours spent at school or mass on Sundays when Tom Alter served, the rest of the week was devoted to making the supermarket survive, a rigid focus that Tom maintained as he got older and took over the business. I went in the produce business and the Italians tried to run me out of business. I got a little vicious with them. Some of them we had some shootouts. Some of them I wrecked. Some of them I beat up. So I became a little like, uh, like a gangster. You know what I mean? And 
I felt like I was invincible. I could do anything I want. It was somewhere in this invincible phase that Tom and his wife were set up by their parents. Marriage didn't dissuade him from gang activity, though. On the contrary, it raised the stakes. I got a family of four, my wife wife and four kids, and um, big business, doing big business. Competition opens up down the street, one thing after another, at least a bad, to a few bad words. So I let him know, hey, you know, you guys are messing with the wrong guy. I go down there, I want to talk to them, let him know, you know, I wanted to lay the law down, let him know that, hey, don't mess with me. You guys are going to get more than you bargained for. We got into a big fight. And then I put them all in the hospital. 26 boys I got. We went in there, wrecked the whole place. And I figured then out that everything would calm down. But it didn't calm down. A few, not even a month later, they came out the hospital. They were doing good. They started sweating, pull up in my parking lot. They would call me and they would, I would come out with a Uzi in my hand to spray him and they would take off. Anyway, I said, okay, this is not going to end. So I, I burned the store down one night with a couple of boys about 3.30 in the morning. Then I burned the store down a second time. Then I sent them a time bomb a third time. Well, every time I would blow up the store or something, they would collect from the insurance or rebuild it and collect and rebuilding, then every, after a month or two, they would start again. I said, man, you know, there's no end in sight with these guys, so I gotta do something. Either uh, either I blow up the store in a big way, or I have to kill them. So one day I'm going to work, and there's a couple of kids waiting for me with guns in their hands. And uh, that day I happened to go to work late, a few hours, and they came up from behind the wall in the corner and they started shooting at me. And that really got me to go insanity. I mean, total insanity. All I kept thinking is I gotta kill them all. Somebody's gonna die I don't wanna be me. So one day I got two guns. My wife heard about it. Somebody told her, they told her, listen, your husband is in, running around seven miles with guns in his hand. He's ready to kill some people. You better go home, find out what's going on. Tonight, police are investigating a shocking car explosion and fire. The incident was After the attempted explosion, Tom fled to Iraq to avoid imprisonment. He knew what was on the line. He was likely to get life in prison. He came back to the U.S. briefly to see his family. I ran into somebody that I didn't like. I wound up beating him half to death. I sent him to the hospital. The FBI come raid my mother's house. I escaped into Mexico and back to Iraq. I have a lawyer and he called me and said, listen, Tom, I can get you a deal eight years if you surrender. I said, five to eight is a good deal. I'll come back. But Tom got 60 to 90 years for handling explosives, destruction of property, and his plan to blow up his competitor's store. In 1990, he was sent to Jackson State Prison. Tom's notorious reputation on the streets carried over into prison. He was extremely hot-tempered and revenge-obsessed. He spent his first 10 years behind bars like this, overcome with urges to kill. He was constantly getting into brawls with other inmates and winding up in the hole. He couldn't get over the humiliation of his failed attack, or the fact that his enemies ran free while he was behind bars. His kids, ages 1 through 8, were growing up without him, and his wife had divorced him. He was shuffled around to six different prisons before he finally landed at Lapeer. And Lapeer was different. They had these volunteers. They were really holy. And uh, 
Bruce and Mary Rogers, Deacon Ed, all these volunteers were real holy people. They were charismatic. They spoke in tongues. They were singing to the Lord and prayed and shot. And I thought they were all crazy. You know, I'd never been around charismatic people before. And I was like, these people are out of their mind. But I give them credit. They keep coming to prison. It made Tom curious to see what seemed like delusional commitment. But week after week, they kept coming. He hadn't encountered that before. People who wouldn't give up on him. He tested them, pushed to see how far they would go. 1998, I want to walk out. And this deacon Ed asked me, how's your walk with Jesus, Tom? I said, my walk with Jesus is great. There's only one thing I need to do. And he knew, boy, he just caught it. He said, Tom, come back here. Are you talking about revenge? I said, I don't call it revenge. I call it getting even. And then he said to me, you don't know what it's like to be a good Christian, do you? And I said, good Christian is somebody who worships Jesus. He said, no, Tom. A good Christian is somebody who loves the Lord and loves everybody who forgives his enemy. I said, yeah, that's easy for you to say. He said, no, that's just what Jesus said. And I said, well, maybe it's easy for Jesus. I can't do it. And he was like, look, Tom, you got to ask Jesus to pray. When you pray, ask him to intercede for you. So I prayed that prayer from 1998 to 99. I used to pray that prayer, Lord, come and take this anger from me. Because I all like, all I could contemplate for 10 years. Nothing happened for a long time. And then, like a deluge, Tom's prayers were answered. I'm sitting in the Bible study in 1999, and I see the heaven opens up in two sheep, and I see this king of glory sitting over there, Jesus. He has this crown that I've never seen before, this amazing crown on him, and he has a he has a scepter in his hand. It's a gold scepter. And it looks like it's a carved missile or something. And he's sitting in this attire of red and gold. And he looks gorgeous. And I said, Lord, you know, in my heart, I was talking to him. I said, Lord, I see you. And I don't know what you want me to do with this vision. But I'm not telling anybody what I see. If I tell them what I'm seeing right now, they're going to think I went crazy. And they will send me to the mental institution. I'm not telling them, Lord. And at that moment, the Lord beamed down a laser light, a thin laser light to my heart. And at that moment, I started crying. I knew the love of God was beyond my imagination. I knew that God was God of love. I felt the Trinity. I knew who God was. I didn't need a book. I didn't need nobody to tell me no more. I just felt it in my soul. I started crying. I left. I didn't want the men to see me crying because I was hardcore. And uh, I left there and I went to my cell. I was telling myself, what just happened, Lord? I just felt you for the first time in my life. Tom started reading scripture like a guidebook, hoping for some insights about this mystical experience and these unfamiliar feelings. I read that scripture for six and a half hours, and I knew that scripture is holy, inspired by God. The men who wrote it with their fingers were inspired by God to write it. I knew that word is the word of God. He was hooked. He says the old Tom died in the same jail cell as a scripture-infused Tom was born in. Scripture reading became his nightly habit in the late hours of the night while the prison was quiet. 
I read Psalm 1, Psalm 4, Psalm 8. I love to read that. Psalm 10, uh, Proverbs, 50, uh, Proverbs 28. I get up in the middle of the night after I tell him this. I open up the Bible. I read the scripture. I don't understand what it says. The light is off. I can barely read it. The cop comes by. Why are you up? So I'm reading the scripture. Why are you reading the scripture? It's four in the morning. The Lord told me to. Tom went from being his unit's bruiser to being their prophet. The same doggedness with which he once picked fights was now weaponized for bringing the inmates to Christ. Whenever he was sent money, he ordered Bibles. The hours he spent in the prison gym beefing up a fighter's body were now spent praying with and over inmates for their physical and spiritual illnesses. His bitterness towards former enemies was now turned towards the devil, and this became part of his everyday conversations. And I went to get them. I went there. I was the first one in line, and the officer told me I only been there three months. Go sit in the corner, first corner, first table in the corner on the left. I grabbed my milk and I went there and I said, Father, I want to thank you for the, I want to thank you for this food in the name of Jesus. And everything stopped. He said, Tom, tell them how much I love them. Tom, tell them how much I love them. Tom, tell them how much I love them. I raised my hand. I said, I will tell them how much you love them, Lord. Well, this one guy with a long beard, all tattooed, including his face. Anyway, I walked out and he said to me, you know, I believe in God and I don't practice. I said, wow, that's good for you. I said, James 2.19, even the demons believe in God and they tremble at the name of Jesus. I said, what's good is that if you don't practice? Why don't you try to put it to practice? And his face just like, he got pale and he walked away. And I knew then that that soul needed to hear it to practice the love of Jesus. Tom's facility had four Protestant services, but no Catholic service. He sent a request for a Catholic chaplain and was told he would need at least 11 interested inmates to get one. So okay. I go down the hall and I sign 11 men right away. Well, most of them Latinos and I sign them up. And I got, my, I got six men in the cube, or six men cube. I told this guy, his sister is married to my cousin. I go, come on, uh, Carrie, sign up uh, uh, and come to service. He goes, no, no, I'm not with that Jesus stuff. I said, look, somebody's going to mess with you. I'm going to take care of it for you. But you got to come to church. I'll help you out. I'll have your back. He goes, no, no, I'm not with that Jesus stuff. I go, okay. So I wake up about four in the morning. McDonald's snoring like the tank underneath Carrie. And Carrie can't sleep. And he goes, you know, I'm going to put a lock in the socks. I'm going to crack his head. So I raise my hand across. I go, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop snoring. And and Carrie rolls his eyes. <laughs> and I go, in the name of Jesus, the second time, I go, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop snoring. And Carrie rolls his eyes. The third time, I said, I command you in the name of Jesus to stop snoring now. And the man stopped snoring. I told him, you come in the Catholic service. So you sign up the kite at four in the morning. I started services. 
we started with 11, then 18, then 27, then 30, and 35, and 40, 45, and 50. And one time we got as high as 58 men. And I would do service every week. My first service, I went and preached about the woman at the well. We didn't have Eucharist. We got on our knees. We accepted the spiritual Eucharist from Jesus. We accepted, we gave our life to Christ. The dramatic changes in Tom didn't go unnoticed. Four times he was up for parole, told to pack his bags, and was denied each time. He believes God had more work for him to do in prison. Six years worth. But finally, in November 2005, after 15 years in prison, Tom Namey walked free. Today, Tom's work is in the produce business, but his passion lies with the Eastern Catholic Reevangelization Center. It's a Chaldean and Eastern Catholic lay community that's on a mission to evangelize through prayer, fellowship, and retreats. Tom serves on the board there, helps host their monthly healing service, and shares his story. This is Vanessa, a family friend, co-board member, and his biographer. So Tom's story um, serves as a catalyst to bring people to Christ, to encourage people to read scripture, to go to Christ when you're suffering emotionally, physically, mentally, uh, to lean on the Lord. I think the most powerful thing about his entire story that I think everybody can relate to is that even though Tom spent nearly 16 years physically locked up behind bars, most people walk around this world physically free, but locked up in their own vices. And that's personal prisons. You know, they're locked up in their sins. And it was through reading scripture and leave, giving up his life to God where he found freedom. I mean, he truly found freedom behind bars. As ironic as that sounds, he found freedom while still locked up in prison. And he found it through Christ. And so many people can find that same freedom through Jesus Christ, whether you're locked up in fear, anger, resentment, um, you know, any kind of addiction. People are locked up in all kinds of personal prisons. In writing Tom's biography, Vanessa tracked down dozens of stories of spiritual and physical healings attributed to him. I witnessed that. I, I, I have heard many stories of people being preyed on who had uh, who had cancer, who uh, had difficulty conceiving a child, um, uh, children who have had other ailments that Tom has gone and prayed on at their homes or at church. I mean, he's he gets called all the time. I wrote a story a few years ago about a woman. She wasn't Chaldean. Um, she's an Italian woman, and she heard about Tom's ministry, and she uh, was legally blind. And she went and had Tom pray on her a few times, and she got a big part of her vision back where she could function on a daily basis. Um, and so that was another story. So there's, there's been many, many stories of, of healing. Um, that, and, and Tom takes no credit. He knows this is all Jesus Christ. I mean, Tom is only able to pray on people uh, through Jesus, through Christ. And, and it's not his own power. It's the power of Jesus. And he knows that very well. I wasn't thinking about, I'm going to be a preacher one day. If you would have told me when I went to prison, one day, Tom Namey, you're going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have told you you're out of your mind and you're smoking some bad bananas, you know? But God, God uses the weak to shame the strong. He uses the fools to shame the wise. That's how God is. He magnifies his glory in weakness. That Tom today, we speak to that Tom, that Tom wouldn't listen to him. 
but Tom would have needed two by four to cross your head. It had to be God's timing. He had to break me down to build me up. Through the grace of God, the same hands that wielded handguns and fashioned bombs and explosives are now the ones that are placed on the shoulders of hurting and wounded people to heal and to pray. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.